0: on our topic for today which we said is going to be about the red cow. Now we have 613 commandments in the Torah. Many of the commandments are very straightforward. Some of them are how to deal with each other, don't steal from each other, someone's in trouble, you you see someone whose animal has fallen, you've got to help them, someone loses a lost object, You've got to return unto them, honor your parents' very commonsensical laws. We have laws that are... Um, we have laws that are um, ritual laws that are symbolic, symbolic of different things. Shabbat we keep every week to remember how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Um, we keep Passover to remember how... Um, to remember our, the exodus from Egypt and eat matzah to recall the exodus and eat bitter herbs to recall the slavery and um, we have Sukkot, remember, how our ancestors traveled through the desert and God protected them. And we have Yom Kippur for atonement. So we have a lot of different rituals that are for specific. Um, as, as a, they're, they're, they symbolize different things. Then we have a third series of mitzvot, a third group of mitzvot, which are mitzvot where we really don't know why we do them. We really don't understand why we do them. So those mitzvot are the class, the common example is the laws of kosher. All the laws of kosher fall under the category of, uh, of, of this category that we don't really understand why. We don't know why milk and meat we don't eat. Um, there are different explanations given, but they don't adequately address it. It doesn't symbolize anything. It's not commonsensical. Uh, there's no clear, obvious reason for um, for, uh, for most the laws of kosher, why some animals we can eat, some we cannot eat. Uh, for most rules of kosher, we don't have an obvious reason. So, we have historically different names for these mitzvot, different commandments. The common the commonsensical mitzvot, we call them mishpatim. Mishpatim, they all mean laws. The symbolic commandments, we call them adot. And the... Um, And the mitzvot that don't have um, any real known reason or don't have any clear reason, we call them chukim. So this week's Torah reading is actually called chukat. It's called chukat because it's a mitzvah that has no reason. And some time back, we did, I think at Don's request, we did a class on mitzvot that have reasons and don't have reasons and why some do have reasons and why some don't have reasons. So the, the mitzvah of the red cow is introduced in the Torah by saying this is the chok mitzvah or the chuk, chok mitzvah of the Torah. Chok singular, chok plural. This is the classic example of a mitzvah that has no reason, no obvious reason. And that's because this is perhaps the strangest mitzvah in the Torah. So we have mitzvahs that they have their reason, but okay, we do them. Don't mix milk and meat. Why not? Okay, but you kind of a cheeseburger, so we don't. But it's at least you know it's not that strange. But this mitzvah is actually the strangest mitzvah in the Torah. It is so hard to understand that Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, the book of Mishlei, he says he understood all of the reasons for all of the commandments. He was able to figure out reasons. The only one he could not figure out was this one, the mitzvah of the red cow. So what is this mitzvah of the red cow? So before we get to the red cow, the mitzvah of the red cow involves the laws of tuma and tahara, which I've touched on in this class a couple of times before, but I'm going to go over again because it's very important to know. Tuma means uncleanliness. Tahara means cleanliness. But they have nothing to do with dirt. It's a ritual or spiritual cleanliness and a spiritual uncleanliness. And the doing certain things or touching certain things would make a person Tameh. And there is a long list of different things that make people Tameh. And tuma and Tahara are all chukim. They're all mitzvot that don't have any logical reasons. So if a person... um, If a person touches a dead animal, other than kosher slaughtered meat, if a person touches a dead animal or a dead rodent, they become tammeh. Classic example. If a person touches a... If a there's certain... um, A a person who has... um, a uh, couple has intercourse, they become Tame. A woman has her menstrual period, she becomes Tame. Um, the, a person comes in contact with a dead body, they become Tame. So, all these different things, and there's a long list of different things you become Tame. Most things, there's a process for then getting rid of this Tuma. And how do you get rid of this Tumah when you don't have the opposite of Tumah is Tahara? So clean is Tahar. When you're unclean um, or um, impure, perhaps, it's called Tameh. So the process of becoming Tahar, it varies. Generally, it involves going to a Mikvim. Sometime back we did a class about a mikveh. A mikvah is a pool of water where the water arrived there on its own without any, human, without any humans carrying it. So it has to arrive totally on its own. It has to go through pipes and totally arrive on its own into that pool of water. That's what a mikvah is. We have a mikvah here. We once did a tour of the mikvah over here. But well, that's class of its own. We once did a class on it, we'll do it again. So that's, that's a good question. Very complicated. It's it's. I water clear here here. It's very and how do you keep it clean? It's a very complex engineering and uh, very complicated. It's it's <laughs> possible. Sure, sure. So so we did so that so normally the way you become tahor is a mikvah. Now tuma and tara have nothing to do with dirt. They have nothing to do with being. Um, they have nothing to do with being bad. It's just a. Ritual law that the Torah gives us. The general impact, somebody who is Tameh is not allowed to enter the temple in Jerusalem, is not allowed to eat sacrifices, sacrificial meat, and is not allowed to eat other holy foods. There were certain holy foods that were given to the Kohen, certain tithes, there were different holy foods. They were not allowed to eat any of these temple-related holy foods. Now, today, none of the laws of tuma apply anymore because the temple no longer stands. As long as you don't go on the Temple Mount, you don't have to worry about it. Um, the, uh, we don't have any of the holy foods anymore. We don't have sacrifices. So none of these laws apply anymore. When we rebuild the third temple, hopefully very soon, we will bring back the laws of Tumah and tahara. In the days of the temple, we know, they lived with these laws, which were very intrusive. They involved every aspect of their lives. You couldn't touch anything that was tame. You couldn't eat food that was tame. It was very complicated, the laws, but people, we have great, a lot of description about how people kept to these laws. When people were tame, they had to keep separate, separate kitchens, separate dishes, separate everything, separate food, when people were tame. So, the only law that is relevant still today is Nida, a woman who gets her um, period, has to go to the mikveh because she's forbidden to be with her husband until she becomes tahar. That's the only relevance of these laws today. We did a class on Nida some time back. Uh, again, time to do another one, time to do refreshers on all our old classes. So, we. Uh, s- So that's the only one that's relevant. In general, all these laws are not relevant. So, But they're still laws of the Torah. They're part of the 613 commandments. By the way, two-thirds of the 613 commandments involve Tumah, tahara. involve temple, involve sacrifices, involve um, a religious leadership structure that we no longer have. Two-thirds of the commandments no longer apply. We have only a very... A you could call a watered down version of Judaism today because we only keep about a third of it. Most of it is no longer relevant to us but of course we ask God to restore the temple bring this all back. Um, That's why it's so prominent in Judaism we want to bring it all back. But most of Jewish law no longer applies. But we still study it. It's still important to know. It's still important to study and if we still learn about it we still read about it and we can still take life lessons from it. So So the most severe of all different types of Tumah, each one has its own unique laws, and the most severe of all the types of Tumah is coming in contact with someone who dies. Mm -hmm. So if someone someone dies, anyone who touches them becomes Tameh, anyone who touches the corpse. Not only that, anybody who walks on a grave becomes Tameh. Not only that, Anyone who is in the same building or under the same roof as a corpse becomes Tamei as well. And there's actually a unique mitzvah for Kohanim. Kohanim are male descendants of Aaron whose ancestors would serve in the temple and still today have a special role in the priestly blessing. We did a class about that some time ago. They have a special role in the priestly blessing and... um, and uh, they, have, uh, they get the first Torah reading. So Kohanim are not allowed to come in contact with the dead, except for their own relatives when their own relatives die. So Kohanim do not go to funerals. They don't go to cemeteries at all. Not only that, they even avoid hospitals unless necessary, because most hospitals today have morgues. So they avoid going... When they have to, they have no choice, but when, necess- when they can, they avoid hospitals. Rabbis that are Kohenim <laughs> don't do funerals. They have to ask their neighboring rabbis to do all the funerals for them. Just, the Just male descendants of Aaron. So is it bad to be in contact with the dead? No, it's actually a mitzvah to... Um, it's the greatest mitzvah you can do is to go to a funeral and to... Um, it's called Chesed Shalemet, the ultimate... Tr- the, the, ultimate kindness is uh, honoring the dead because they're never going to be able to pay you back. So it's a great mitzvah. Every, every community had a chevra kadisha, a holy society whose role was to be in charge of burials, preparing the body before the funeral, which is a whole, we have a whole complicated ritual to prepare the body. So all that was, it's a very great mitzvah to do. Um, however, when someone did come in contact with the dead, and we also, we go to our parents, and this is an old Jewish tradition, to go to our parents' graves, to pray to ask them, uh, to talk to them, to ask them to pray to God on our behalf. We go to graves of saintly people. So we do come in contact regularly with the dead, and if you're a non-Kohen, there's nothing wrong with it. However, someone who came in contact with the dead became Tameh. Yes. Yeah, Cohens cannot function really. As Cohens today, is why should Cohens be keeping since we're all in one way or another? Why should they take the extra stringency? To- the law is even if they are already tame, they still Cohens. The Torah forbids them from coming in contact with the dead. And okay. so that's just that's a law for Cohens. Yes. No, so anyone who comes in contact with a dead person becomes Tameh. It doesn't matter whether they are doesn't matter are supposed to avoid it. Non-Kohens, don't have to worry about it. But you do become Tameh. We're all Tameh. We're all Tameh. We've all come in contact with dead people before. But we all are. We are all Tameh. Now, not only that, while we could go to the mikvah for other things we don't have the ability to get rid of the Tumah of having come in contact with the dead. So, when someone comes in contact with the dead, um, they are now Tamei, they're not allowed to go to the temple, they're not allowed to eat sacrificial meat or eat other holy foods. So, three times a year, Jews... All had to go to the temple for the festivals, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Everyone went to the festival, brought sacrifices on Passover. They had to bring a special Passover sacrifice as part of the they ate during the Seder. For all that, you had to be Tahor. You could not be Tamit. So you would have to, be, if you came in contact with the dead, most people do. You go to cemeteries, go to funerals in the course of your life. You do. It happens. So... Most people are Tamei. So you have to go through a process of becoming Tahor. So while for most other things involve Mikvah, it's fairly easy. Sometimes there's some other steps as well. But Mikvah is the main part of becoming Tahor, getting rid of this Tumah, this status. When someone comes in contact with the dead, God tells Moses, there's a whole different process to become Tahor, to get rid of this this ritual impurity. There's a whole different process. What is the process? The process is as follows. God tells Moses, you are to find a red cow. A cow, a female cow, that is red. It must be one years old, so in its second year, and you must find this cow, and it must be 100% red. Not a single hair that is white or brown or black. 100% red. Now, by the way, this is very, very rare. does exist. Yes. There are red cows, but they're very, very rare. Today, in theory, we can breed them. But they're very, very rare. Perfectly red cows. So every time you go to a funeral, you have to find a red cow. No, no, no. Because no. I'm calling a lot of people. No, Firstly... Today, we are all Tamei, and we don't have the process of getting... We don't have this process that I'm about to describe. Secondly, you don't have to do it every time, only when you go to the temple. So if you're not going to the temple, you don't worry about it. In, the, the temple, the in Jerusalem, the temple, the temple. There's only one temple, right? Yeah. No, no, you don't worry about it. No. Yeah, so I may have mentioned this before, but in um, the mid-19th century... There was a this is off topic, but just important to know trivia. The um, in the mid 19th century, there was a movement among German Jews to be no longer a Jewish people, but be Germans of the Mosaic faith. Right? They wanted to be this German Christians and German Jews. So not they shouldn't be a Jewish people. We were always Jews was our, nation, was our nationality. We were Jews. That was our people. No longer a Jewish people. Christians of the Mosaic. League. So they made a lot of changes to Judaism to make Judaism similar to Christianity and tried to make themselves as German as they could, more German than the Germans. We know how well that worked out for them. Yeah. So they, as part of that movement, one of the big problems they had is in all of our prayers, we keep asking God to bring us back the land of Israel we ask God to restore Jewish control over the land of Israel and bring, re, re, gather all of the exiles back to Israel and restore the temple in Jerusalem, the Bet HaMikdash in Hebrew, um, restore the holy temple in Jerusalem. And, um, and so that we're always asking for that. If they're Germans, what do they want to go to Israel for? So they changed all, all those parts of the prayers. And then what they did is they started calling their synagogues temples. So there's no temple. We don't ask for a temple in Jerusalem anymore. We have temples in Germany. That's where the name temple came from. Yeah. So synagogue is the old Greek word because we've been around forever, right? For our, we, we, we Jews pray. So. Um, German Jews. It was a German word for a for the Holy Temple or for temples, um, you know, ancient temples. And um, they started using it because they wanted to. They didn't believe in the. They wanted to reject the new the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So, but it's still in use today. It's it's spread. So back to our red cow. So take this perfectly red cow and. You're going to take the red cow, and you are going to. And now this red cow has to have never been used in farming. Now cows today are used for only used for meat and for milk. Right, that's all we use cows. We use the the um, the bulls are used for meat, and the cows are used for milk. That's the way it's done today. But in um, uh, historically, cows were always the strongest animals, right? Cows were the strongest domesticated animals, especially they had oxen, which were very big, power, strong cows. And um, they're the strongest animals. They used to use them for farming because they used to pull the plows. Um, so they were, they were farming animals. Um, the milk was kind of an extra addition. But the main, their main role was for farming. So this cow cannot be used for farming at all. Um, and they would actually, there was a way to check. They would, if once the cow was used for farming, its um, fur was not as, um, was not as perfect anymore. So you were actually able to see. And um, now these cows were very, very valuable. The Talmud actually describes of one time there was a fellow. The Talmud tells the story. a fellow called Dama ben Netina, not a Jew, a non-Jew, who lived in Israel, who once, uh, who was a jeweler, and they were once mini- missing the yashpe, the jasper stone, for the which was a it's a precious stone that they needed for the high priest's. Um, Breastplate had 12 stones for the 12 tribes. They needed that stone and they needed large stones that they could engrave the names in. Hard to come by, very expensive. And he had the stone. So a uh, delegation of, of Jewish leaders came to him asking him to buy the stone. And he said, I'm sorry, I cannot sell it to you. The keys to my safe is under my father's pillow and he's sleeping. I can't wake my father. And... Um, and so he, and they said, "We'll pay double the price if you give it to us." And he said, um, "No, I can't sell it to you because I can't wake my father." And they said, "We'll pay triple the price." And they say, he said, "No, I can't sell it to you." So they left. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So. So on our Father's Day, thank you. So. So, they le- so the, the leaders left, they gave up. And a few hours later, he comes running to them. He says, here's the stove. My father woke up. And they want to pray him, pay him three times the price. He says, no, just take the original price. Um, it was only, um, I don't want to get anything extra for the mitzvah of honoring my father. He wasn't Jewish, Talmud says. But he was, we see the greatness of the importance of honoring one's parents. So, um, so the Talmud says right after that, so he, right after that, he had a red cow born in his flock, and he made more from the red cow than he made from the um, stone because the red cows were very, very rare and valuable. So, um, so anyway, so they were, so they were, so they, they had to find these red cows, and then they would ta- they would um, take this red cow, and they would have to slaughter the red cow outside of the camp. Moses was going to slaughter the red cow outside of the Jewish camp, the camp of Israel. So the temple was in the center of the camp, but it was a very large camp. The Talmud actually says, we know the size of the camp was 12 mil. A mil is about a half a mile, a little more than a half a mile. So it was about six miles by six miles, 36 square miles, the size of the camp. right? It's the size of a city. I mean, you're talking about two million people. So it was, it was a city, the camp. They had to go outside the camp, and over there they had to be on a hill where they were able to see the temple from there. And they, over there they would then slaughter this red cow. In the days of the, the, the Talmud describes in great detail, the Mishnah describes in great detail what they did once the temple was set in Jerusalem. Um, they had, we know, the red the. Uh, red cow was slaughtered, was taken from, was brought first to the temple, where it was checked by the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council, that we learned about. And uh, they were stationed in the temple. And then they would carry the cow, the cow from the temple mount across to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just east of the temple mount, directly across from the Mount of Olives. You could see the temple mount. Mm-hmm. And there was actually, the Talmud says, there was actually, it's a very, very deep valley. Very, very steep, deep valley. And on the slopes of the Mount of Olives today um, is an sem- ancient cemetery. But at the top of the Mount of Olives, right across from the temple, they would have a, there would be a, ra- a, there was a kind of a bridge that crossed over, it's called the Kidron Valley. So it was a bridge that crossed over the valley. They would walk over this bridge with um, the cow and all the koanim, And the leaders would all walk across the bridge to this spot right across. And they actually know where, um, they actually have a pretty good idea because we know more or less where the, we know where the temple stood and we know on the Mount of Olives at the top right across where you could see the Temple Mount. There's actually a monastery right there today. Um, I forget what it's called, but um, there's a monastery um, right there, do you remember the name? No, I don't know if it's the same one. But uh, there, there's a monastery right there on that spot where you're able to directly across from the temple. And so they would over there, they would slaughter this cow, this red cow. Um, it was a, brought outside the temple, but it was a sacri- like a sacrifice slaughtered over there. And then they would have, they would pile wood into a um, into a kind of a wood. Um, A fire, and um, they would put the cow on top of the wood. uh, The entire cow on top of the wood. They would slaughter it on the on the on the pile, and then they would have the um, and then they would burn the cow with the wood right there. And now this um, and now this um, this um, they would burn it through and through, and then these ashes what was left from this red cow and wood, they would then beat down and grind into dust, into ashes. And then these ashes were then, um, were then split into three different parts. One part, a small section of the ashes, was kept in storage in the temple, and they kept in the temple in storage ashes from every single red cow that was made over the years. And at least over the second temple period. And then they would have, the then um, of the rest of the ashes, half of it would be given to the Kohanim, because the Kohanim would regularly serve in the temple. So they needed a lot of access to it, which was then split, the Kohanim was split among families, was split, was structured among families, 24 families. So it was split among the Kohanim, and then it was given out to the different families. And the rest was split, was used for everybody else, um, presumably left there on the Mount of Olives for people coming to Jerusalem so that they could become Tahor. Now, here's what they would do. They would then go down to. So they have these ashes. They would then go down to a stream, and the Mount um, running down from the uh, running down the Kidron Valley. You have the um, Shiloh. Um, or the Gichon stream that runs down the, mount of the uh, runs down the valley, and they would have um, they would go down. They would take water from there, and they would mix ashes into this water. And then someone who became ta- Tame by coming in contact with the dead would count three days, and on the third day, a Kohen would take a hyssop branch. Hyssop is a little kind of, um, a little, little plant. A hyssop branch. And they would um, throw, they would use, with the hyssop branch, they would dip, they would put a little, they would take this water, sorry. They would put some ashes in the water. With the hyssop branch, they would dip it into the water and they would throw the water using the hyssop branch or sprinkle the water on the individual. And then they would count another four days, day seven. And they would do the same thing again. And then after that, the individual would go to the mikvah, and then they would be Tahar. They would be ritually pure, so to be able purify to purify them, to be able to go into the temple. Now Now, there were also some very interesting things over here. The, uh, now anybody who was involved in the slaughter or the burning of the red cow would become Tameh. They would have to go to the mikveh to become Tahar. Not only that, somebody who sprinkled the water mixed with ashes of this red cow on someone who was Tameh would themselves become Tameh. Not a high level tuma, a low level. They just had to go to the mikveh and then they would be Tahar. So they themselves became Tameh. So this whole set of laws is a chok. We don't understand why. It doesn't really make any sense. There's no reason for it. Firstly, the entire series of laws of Tuma and Tahara, the structure of laws regarding ritual purity and ritual impurity, things that make you tame and things that make you tahar and the process, none of it has any logical reason. There's no simple, clear, obvious reason for any of it whatsoever. Particularly the fact that all other tumot, for all other tumah, you just go to the mikveh. When you come in contact with the dead though, you need to go through this whole process. Also no clear explanation. No easy explanation. Then the fact that to become tahor, you need a red cow, a red. Why a red cow? That was never used before. No clear explanation. Then, in order to become, then this red cow is not offered as a sacrifice in the temple, as most sacrifices are. Sacrifices themselves being a mitzvah that doesn't have a clear explanation. Um, they, but it's offered. It's brought as a sacrifice, but outside of the temple and outside of Jerusalem. And then it's not burned on any altar, or there's no altar involved. it just burns right there. And then the people involved themselves all become Tame. So you're making them Tahar, and then you yourself become Tameh. And then, And then on top of that, you need water, and the water has to come from a spring, and they have to be sprinkled on the third day, and on the seventh day, all these details, it's very complicated. Very detailed. None of it has any obvious reason. There's a lot of counterintuitive things. In fact, the person that that it's done outside of the temple, the person who sprinkles it becomes tameh. A lot of it doesn't make much sense. So this is the ultimate chok, the ultimate mitzvah that we cannot understand to the point that King Solomon himself was not able to understand it. The wisest of all men was not able to understand it. So, why do we do these myths? So, we don't know why God told us to do it. He told us to do it. God told you to do it, you do it. And some time back, just um, to touch on it very quickly, before I offer some explanation, just to touch on it very quickly, and um, we did a class on it a few, we- a few months ago. Um, ultimately, we do what God wants not because we understand why we're supposed to do it, but because we're told to do it. It's like your spouse. If you only listen to I think this is the example I gave last time. If you only listen to your spouse when you understand what they want and you agree with them, you're not going to have a very happy marriage, right? Why why does she want flowers? They're going to die. I could buy you fake flowers. They'll last forever. But you'll never take fake flowers. Why do you want flowers? But you get it anyway. Why does he want to... Go to the game to watch the football. they just, you know, you'll find out the scores afterwards. It doesn't really matter who wins. Why do you, you don't need to make sense of it. You do what people want, what your spouse wants, just because you love them and you want to do what they want. The reasons, if you're only going to do what they want because, they, because you understand it, you're never going to have a happy marriage. Ultimately, you listen to people you care about because. You want to make them happy. Our relationship with God is the same way. Yes, he gave us a lot of mitzvot we could understand and we have reasons for, but then he said, This is what I want. Just make me happy. Why? Don't worry about it. So um, so that's the so so we don't ultimately know the reason for all of Tuma and Tahara, none of it makes any sense. We don't ultimately know the reason for any of the laws of the red cow. It's a very strange series of laws. It's a very, very um, very, very hard to understand series of laws. Would it be fair to say that we also do not understand all the rules of why we are supposed to sacrifice animals? Yes, yes. I mentioned that earlier. I touch, I mentioned that um, in passing that we all all sacrificial laws fall under the same category as Chok commandments. We don't understand. Yes. See, it just seems when I'm reading the Torah,
1: um, there's such a
0: a naturalness, or just, like, such a bad thing about, like, a dead body, whatever you When I read it, I, I would just think that because it's something from God, dead or alive, it shouldn't be so, so bad. I mean, evil, whatever. You Nothing mean. should ever be evil. Yeah, well, God does a, create evil. That's a subject but, of the own. you know a, what I'm saying? It's like, when I read it, it's like, a, it's such a bad thing. You've got to, oh, said, it's, right? a it's a mitzvah to help the yeah. dead, it's absolutely. It's one, one of the greatest great oh, mitzvahs. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so it's mitzvah So we don't ultimately understand. However, we're never satisfied with that. And so we always try to give explanations. And of course, over the last 3,000 years plus, we've offered many explanations. And many have attempted to give explanations. None of these explanations are fully satisfactory. So I'm giving you that warning in advance. But we'll at least try to understand a little bit. Firstly, the Tuma of Death death is the most difficult thing that we humans have to face. It's our own mortality. The fact that we are not around forever, the fact that we're soon going to just disappear, we believe the soul is eternal, but mortality is something that we cannot face. In fact, we believe that humans, while we are built to be able to withstand almost every form of suffering we are not built to withstand death there is no way for a person to just deal with grief there's no way for a person to just overcome grief it overwhelms any person who faces death will be overwhelmed by it the only Solution, the only way we get we deal with death is time that 's the only solution. time with time, the, um, the um, difficulty of it, the grief becomes never doesn 't usually disappear, never disappears, but it becomes less and less, or it, it allows us to continue. It, it takes over our lives less and less. But we humans, while we're built to deal with just about every difficult we can overcome with the right frame of mind, we can overcome any challenge or any difficulty, we cannot overcome death, dealing with death. So death is a very, very difficult thing for us humans to deal with. It is also, we believe that the soul is the greatest thing that we have. Every soul is a part of God. It's a life. When the soul leaves... Life has left. God has left the body. So it leaves behind um, a... While the body on its own, had it never been alive, would be no worse than anything else that was never alive. But having been alive, the body has no value anymore once it's, once the person is gone. There's nothing there. They're gone. And so the body is kind of the residue, that which is left. So the body represents the... Um, Great pain or the great lack of godliness after the godly soul has left the body. So death in Judaism is considered a very, very, very severe thing, which at least somewhat explains the tumah of a dead body. In fact, the Talmud tells us that when God told Moses about the tumah of death, Moses says he turned um, he turned white, and he said, how can we ever overcome the challenge of death? And how will a person ever be able to overcome it? And God responded to him, I've got the answer. It's the red cow.
1: <laughs> so,
0: uh, they're born every once in a while. They often, you, they get into the Jewish news, because for Jews, red cows are significant. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, was going to, do it, and we're going to build a temple and all that. I don't think we could do that. So, anyway, so that's that's perhaps at least a partial reason for why the Tumah of death is so severe. Yet, of course, it's a mitzvah to we honor a body because it had held life in it, and it held God in it. It's the holiest thing that exists, is a human body. And so that's why we're commanded not to we're forbidden from harming our body in any way. A person is forbidden from hurting themselves in any way whatsoever, including tattooing themselves as a Torah prohibition. Uh, we're not allowed to harm our bodies. Um, and after death, we're not allowed to mutilate the body in any way. We have to treat the body with utmost respect, which is why we're always um, in a battle with the coroners um, who have often zero respect for bodies and... Um, you know, treat it like a piece of dirt, and um, we're constantly, as a Jewish community, always battling um, to try to get them to, if they need to do some sort of, um, some sort of whatever they need to do, to do it minimally, as minimal as possible, and as quickly as possible. They often have long backlogs, and so we can bury the individual as fast, the body as fast as we can. So we have huge respect for our body, um, yet the body is missing, is the symbol of death, which is such a severe, terrible thing. So our response to it is the para'aduma, this red cow. So ultimately, we don't understand the reason for the red cow. No, we can, at least we have some explanation for some of the details. Firstly, firstly, why a cow? So the cow, our sages say, um, serves as an atonement for the greatest sin, The sin of the red calf. Sorry, the golden calf. The golden calf. Um, And the golden calf was um, the reason, so to speak, for our suffering. And so therefore, which culminates, of course, in death. And so therefore, our counter to that is the red cow, which represents remembering our sin of the um, golden calf. Um, Why red? So red also is in Judaism. Red is a bad color. Um, red is the color of sin, uh, and white is the color of cleanliness, of, of purity, of of um, forgiveness. That's why on Yom Kippur we have a custom to wear ro- white. And this is not well known. There's a Jewish custom not to wear red. Jews don't wear red. We don't wear red. Sorry. Tell on not to wear red. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Jewish custom not to wear red. Is there a red? Yeah, because red is the color of sin. So never, you should never wear red? just No, red. red. Okay, so now, so that's why... In general, any time. I know. Take okay.
1: okay. your
0: I, <laughs> I know. Okay. so... <laughs> so let, let me just finish off because we're running we're gonna we run we we'll the over time. So red blood's actually good, but red is considered a a, a bad color. So um so So that's why it was a red cow, which, as we said, was very, very unique. The red cow was burned as a sign of destroying the evil, destroying negativity. And it was mixed with the ashes. The ashes are mixed with water from a spring. A spring is a sign of life. Um, Throughout, um, in Tanakh, we have a spring many times used as a sign of life why spring water is fresh and healthy. Unlike sitting water which is not healthy spring water is fresh and healthy spring is always a sign of life constantly, constantly flows, constantly moves. So that's why we had water from a spring spring water. Um, then the um, so, so that's now why was it offered outside of the temple? So one explanation given for this is that outside of the um, that the, the ca- our role is to counter negativity in this world but our role is not to counter negativity in the holy places inside the temple but we have to move outside the temple, we have to move to public places, we have to move to, the wor- to places around us where there is negativity and over there face up to it so the, it was brought outside the temple as symbolizing our con- um, are countering negativity, the ultimate negativity, of course, which is death. And then, um, and then the people who were involved in it, or the people who would sprinkle with it, themselves would become tame. And the reason for this is that whenever a person, the same, similar to the fact that a, an individual themselves, who is the, a person... Is the holiest thing humans are the greatest thing that exists on earth and we believe that and so a person without a soul a body without a soul has then lost its holiness lost its godliness and so when um countering negativity every time we counter negativity the um some of we end up with a little bit of negativity within ourselves and we also have to we always have to be aware of this there's a uh, old Jewish saying, if you wrestle with someone dirty, you get dirty. Right? So so what happens is as you try to counter negativity, we always have to be cognizant that whenever we're battling something bad, we always some of it's going to rub off on us. So we always have to be aware of that and always make sure it doesn't mean you shouldn't battle evil. doesn't mean we shouldn't work to counter negativity. But we just have to be remember that it uh, ends up impacting us. So therefore those involved in this process of countering the negativity of death, also became Tameh themselves. So those are just some of the explanations given for some of the details of the red cow. Ultimately, none of them are fully satisfactory, which is why Solomon said he couldn't understand. Ultimately, it's something that we cannot truly, truly understand. It remains a chok that God said, nevertheless an important part of Judaism. So um, thank you again.